If you need a new roof or a repair, Easton Roofing will take care of you. Estimates are always free and suggestions are built on integrity. Visit EastonRoofing.com for more information. Get back to business faster with Easton Roofing. Easton Roofing. Integrity matters. Garrettson and Toth presents The Shift with Jack Johnson on ESPN Kansas City. 1510 AM and 94.5 FM. It is Friday and it's another edition of The Shift on 94.5 FM and 1510 AM ESPN Kansas City. I'm your host Jack Johnson alongside Marco Marquez. Shout out to our presenting sponsors starting with Garrettson and Toth. They handle the most complex felony, federal or state criminal defense cases. You'll find them in doing that successfully, helping criminal defendants all over the Kansas City area and Northeast Kansas for years. Also, be sure to visit Kim Howard and Associates Agency at 150 Metcalf in Overland Park, or give Kim and her team a call at 913-649-2002. That's 913-649-2002 for a quote on your home and auto insurance today. And if you call that number and mention that you heard their ad here on The Shift, they will give you a free $10 gift card to Starbucks to use on whatever you'd like. Coffee, tea, breakfast items, it's your $10. All you got to do is mention that you heard their ad here on The Shift and call them at 913-649-2002 today. It is our final day of the week, our final day of Super Bowl preview, and our final day for the next couple of months. Hell, half a year, basically. Until we preview a Kansas City Chiefs football game. Now, we will talk about the MVP awards last night, the NFL honors, of course. Uh, we will dive into a little bit of college basketball previewing KU and K-State this weekend and wrap it up with some three heroes. But, of course, we want to give you the most possible information going into the weekend, our thoughts. You won't miss a single one of our predictions here on a Friday as we look ahead to the Chiefs and the Eagles kicking off at 5.30 on Sunday night. So it started off with the NFL Honor Award. Justin Jefferson, wide receiver of the Minnesota Vikings, wins Offensive Player of the Year. Nick Bosa wins Defensive Player of the Year. That's the 49ers edge rusher. Patrick Mahomes wins his second MVP award in just five years as a starter. Sauce Gardner wins Defensive Rookie of the Year. Brian Dayball wins Coach of the Year. And I think other the ones that I'm missing out here, they honored DeMar Hamlin, of course, last night with a very cool, uh, not really a ceremony, but just a presentation. I thought that was one of the uh, coolest things that were was to happen last night. Dak Prescott, if any Dallas Cowboys fans are listening, won the Walter Payton NFL Man of the Year Award. Now, Marco, I'm, I'm blinking right now because I'm trying to scroll through Twitter. Talk to me. And just I'm blanking on who won Offensive Rookie of the Year. Offensive Rookie of the Year was Garrett Wilson. That's right. Garrett Wilson of the New York Jets wide receiver. The so dark horse in it. Dark horse, yeah, for sure. I thought that you know you had a couple of guys like maybe a Kenneth Walker, if he wasn't so banged up, may have won Offensive Rookie of the Year. You know, hell, even guys like uh, Isaiah Pacheco probably could add a couple of votes in there just because he's been put on the national stage. Um, you know, there's been a, a couple of guys this year, I think, this has been actually one of the more impressive years for rookies, I would say, uh, both offensively and defensively, which is why I was a little bit shocked to see Garrett Wilson win it, but also at the same time uh, with the New York Jets this year having three different quarterbacks sometimes, uh, having a guy like that can get lost uh, in the chaos of everything. 
the poor play of everything. And the Jets weren't terrible this year. They actually made significant strides. But I just don't think Garrett Wilson got a lot of talking points. But maybe not as much as Sauce Gardner, of course, his teammate on the other side of the ball. Because Sauce Gardner was, by far and away, uh, one of the best cornerbacks in football. And, of course, the best rookie cornerback uh, of any other team in the NFL. Hell, the best defensive rookie uh, in the NFL as he gets that honor. But the one we're going to talk about today is the MVP award going to Patrick Mahomes. He had 48 first-place votes, but it was not a unanimous MVP. One voter voted for Jalen Hurts. One voter voted for Josh Allen. At times, we can come across as bias here in Kansas City, and I don't really think there's a need to nitpick uh, those two votes too much because he still won the MVP. If Patrick Mahomes was to lose the MVP by a vote or two because somebody voted for Allen or for Hertz, then I think you have more reason to be upset. But the only thing that sucks is that it wasn't a unanimous MVP award for Patrick Mahomes, which I just don't know how you can make a case for Hertz or Josh Allen. Let's start it off with Josh Allen here. Josh Allen led the league in turnovers. And I think by Josh Allen's standards, he did not have the best of years. You go back to last year, okay, I could see it a little bit. And I think Josh Allen would have been one of the favorites in the offseason, this past offseason, to win the MVP. Because people thought Buffalo was the top team. He was going to have a revenge tour after losing to Kansas City in the AFC Divisional Round. But the only thing that happened was that he had a little bit of a down year by his standards, not by the NFL standards, but by his standards, and they lost in the Divisional Round again to Cincinnati at home. I mean, you go back to last year for Josh Allen, and maybe you could even say that it was a similar type of year because Josh Allen went 11-6 and last year, 63.3 completion percentage, over 4,400 yards, had 36 passing touchdowns, 15 picks, had about 6.8 yards per attempt. Uh, on the ground, he still was effective in that matter because in 2021, he averaged just over 6 yards per carry, Uh, on 122 rushes, had 763 yards. I mean, it actually is a little bit freaky on how identical his numbers were from last year to this year. But I think last year the reason he could have more of a say is that, you know, other than Aaron Rodgers, at least on the AFC side, Aaron Rodgers, of course, being the NFC, on the AFC side, Josh Allen was by far and away one of the better statistical quarterbacks. But the thing that I think always haunts him is that he's going to turn the ball over a lot. And who knows how well Josh Allen ages. I think we're kind of in the window, the prime of Josh Allen. And big six foot six, 240-pound quarterbacks that put their body on the line a lot aren't going to be playing at age 38, 39, and 40. Just look at Cam Newton, for example. But Cam Newton did win an MVP. Cam Newton did get to a Super Bowl. Cam Newton did have a 15-win season. But I woke up this morning and just I, – I tried on my way to work to – concoct an idea, to summon an idea, think of some possible way as to why Josh Allen deserved the MVP award over Patrick Mahomes. There's just really no reason I could find. Had the same completion percentages last year, which is roughly six percentage points lower than his career high, so 63.3, Patrick Mahomes' completion percentage was north of 67, passing yards on the season... He had less than last year, just 4,283. He had less passing touchdowns than last year at 35. He had one less interception with 14. But you look at some of these numbers. 
He did not have a higher completion percentage than Patrick Mahomes. He did not have more passing yards. He did not have more touchdowns. He had more interceptions. He had less wins, if you want to give quarterback wins any say in the MVP award. But I just I just can't really see it. He also missed the game. So if you were to think as to why Josh Allen wins the MVP, maybe that he runs better than Patrick Mahomes? He puts up better rushing stats than Patrick Mahomes? I can't see it. And Buffalo came up short this year. Not that you should be able to factor that in. That's more of a team award there. It's not just all on the quarterback to ensure that his team wins, but I think we saw more often than not Patrick Mahomes willed his team to victory far more times than Josh Allen did. I mean, Patrick Mahomes had over 1,000 more yards passing than Josh Allen. He had six more touchdowns. And he also had two less interceptions. I can't really think of a reason as to why that voter, unless they're just a voter from Buffalo, would have taken Josh Allen. Jalen Hurts, I can argue a little bit more, but at the same time, Jalen Hurts missed two games this year. And Jalen Hurts still, aside from the rushing totals, didn't have near as good a year as Patrick Mahomes. He had 19 less passing touchdowns. He had around 1,500 less passing yards, lower completion percentage, played in two less games. I, I just, I, I'm having a hard time figuring out as to what the argument would be. PFF numbers, if we're going to go by PFF grades, I mean, maybe you could go by that. I know Josh Allen outscored Patrick Mahomes a couple of times, but just numbers wise and numbers wise alone, and maybe if you're an old school guy and want to go with eye test, it was Patrick Mahomes by a long shot. I, I don't think there was even debate going into the NFL honors that somebody else would get a vote. If if you wanted to have a different vote other than Patrick Mahomes, I would have gone Joe Burrow. I don't think that either of those two quarterbacks in Hurts or Josh Allen deserved a vote over Joe Burrow. I just couldn't see it. Now, again, we're nitpicking. Patrick Mahomes won the MVP. Whether it was unanimous or not, he won the MVP award. He got his second MVP in just five years as a starter in the NFL. And he is light years ahead of the rest of the pack. We could have this debate over and over and over again. Every offseason, which quarterback's going to surpass him? Listen, you got to get an MVP award first. You got to get a Super Bowl ring before you can start putting yourself in the same category. I think there were times this year where we may have said a Josh Allen, a Burrow were pretty close, a Justin Herbert were close in terms of arm talent. Overall talent, arm strength, IQ, but they didn't have the accolades, right? Justin Herbert has yet to win a postseason game. I remember back in 2019, the biggest competitor was Lamar Jackson. Now, Lamar Jackson had won an MVP. At least he's done that, and he's won one playoff game, but he doesn't have a Super Bowl appearance. And not that that's everything, but you kind of get what I'm getting at here. Patrick Mahomes passes the eye test. He's the exceptional talent. He puts up the stats, but he wins a hell of a lot. Like once Josh Allen or once Joe Burrow or once Justin Herbert, once those guys, Jalen Hurts, once those guys get that first MVP award, then you can start going back to comparing. But right now on paper, if you were to walk up to somebody that doesn't watch football and give you the numbers of Patrick Mahomes and 
give you the numbers of Hertz, give you the numbers of Allen, and they said, or you asked them, pick the best quarterback, they would undoubtedly pick Patrick Mahomes. There's no other way around it. And I know that NFL voters, they watch the game a hell of a lot more than the average Joe. They dissect it. But I've always believed that NFL voters still have some bias. No, they're not unbiased voters. You have voters from Buffalo, Cincinnati, Kansas City, L.A., New York. They're going to favor their guys at times when they're in the running. But I think last night, it's a little bit of a sham. Like, is there that much pride in it? I mean, you. I would love to hear the side as to the voter who picked Josh Allen. I really would. I don't think you can be the MVP if you led the league in turnovers. And if the argument is, well, he threw a lot of passes, well, yeah, so did Patrick Mahomes. So did Joe Burrow. They didn't have as many interceptions as Josh Allen. Josh Allen had a hell of a lot more red zone turnovers, leaving points on the board. He missed the game. He's banged up. It just, it can concern you at times. It can worry you at times as to where maybe the head is at of some NFL voters because you don't want some guys to get gypped out of of awards. Sometimes it's incentive-based. That can go down with their legacy. I thought they did a great job in picking Offensive Player of the Year. Justin Jefferson, I think, was the most dynamic receiver and most dynamic offensive skill player in the NFL this year. I really don't have that much of an argument for Nick Bosa. I don't think the Chiefs needed to run the table and have an Offensive Player of the Year or Defensive Player of the Year. I think Nick Bosa deserved it. Chris Jones, I think, should have gotten more votes. But, hey, Nick Bosa had a damn good year. The MVP is just one I, I can't really figure out. And keep in mind, he won an MVP in his first year without Tyreek Hill. That was one of the biggest criticisms of the offseason. Patrick Mahomes would be exposed because he no longer has Tyreek Hill. He threw for over 5,000 yards, over 40 touchdowns, only 12 picks, completion percentage north of 67, won 16 games so far. I don't know how you couldn't be on Patrick Mahomes' side for this one other than just spite if you did not like Patrick Mahomes. And we've seen the national talking heads pick apart his game. Hell, Skip Bayless once again yesterday said he believed Jalen Hurts should have won it. People are just never going to change their opinions on If you have already set yourself up to dislike a certain player and you don't acknowledge their accolades, it's not going to change. I think a perfect example is LeBron James. Not saying Patrick Mahomes is maybe in the same category yet as LeBron James and what LeBron has done for basketball. I mean, LeBron is... 38 years old, and still averaging north of 30 points. My guy's just ridiculous. Who knows what Patrick Mahomes will be averaging at age 36, 37, 38. But we have people in the world that will not acknowledge LeBron's greatness. They'll just say, I think this player's better. Now, you can debate the, the Jordan-LeBron thing, and I get that. That's, a, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking current NBA. There will be people that will debate who the best player of 2010 was, 2011 was. There are going to be people that say, oh, Kevin Durant in 2012 was a better player than LeBron. But I think when you go back over and over and over again, it's the constant. Who always is the guy that people are comparing others to? And Patrick Mahomes is that elite category in the NFL. Anytime somebody gets a quarterback or you're looking in the draft, you don't hear, this guy's going to be the next Jalen Hurts. This guy's going to be the next Josh Allen. It's always, this guy's going to be the next Patrick Mahomes. The arm talent. 
You know, he can throw across his body. He has the no-look passes. He's got the size, you know, 6'3", 230. He can run a little bit. He's coachable, high IQ. When you win multiple MVPs, when you win a Super Bowl, maybe a second Super Bowl on Sunday, you are what everybody goes after, what everybody compares their quarterback to. But still today, there's going to be people that say, I don't believe Patrick Mahomes should have won an MVP. I don't think Patrick Mahomes is as good as people think he is. And you can just sort of laugh in the face of those people because it's more so for reactions as we are reacting right now on our show. But there's not much logic behind it. I I can see at times where if you have a really strong stance, if you were not a Bengals or a Chiefs fan and you came in and said, I objectively think that Joe Burrow is a better quarterback than Patrick Mahomes. We could have a civil conversation, sit down, understand where both sides are coming from. But even then, I think the side would favor Patrick Mahomes because you look at the numbers, you look at the winning totals. You can't say that Joe Burrow has less talent around him. He's got Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd. Patrick Mahomes in the AFC Championship game was throwing to Marcus Kemp in the fourth quarter. He overcomes a lot. He overcomes more adversity, I think, at times than these other quarterbacks do. We had this segment early on in the week that if you took away Joe Burrow, Josh Allen, Jalen Hurts, number one weapon, what does their year look like? What if they did this? Go back to this offseason. Let's say Jalen Hurts doesn't get AJ Brown. Let's say Stephon Diggs has an injury, is an out for the year, and he doesn't get to play for Buffalo this past year. Let's say that Joe Burrow loses Jamar Chase for the entire year. What do you think those numbers look like for that quarterback? Some would still be better than what we're thinking of in the top of our, like in our heads. We saw Joe Burrow for a little bit without Jamar Chase. We saw Josh Allen play banged up. We saw Jalen Hurts play banged up. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying you take away that weapon, how do they change their style? How much does it change? Does Joe Burrow throw the ball at more of a conservative rate? Is he not taking as many chances because he doesn't have Jamar Chase and T. Higgins is his number one? With Josh Allen, if you don't have the security blanket and Stephon Diggs, who are you throwing to? Is Gabe Davis your number one target? And I think that's to me, is why I would have given Patrick Mahomes the MVP if I had a vote. And maybe you don't take anything I say with much weight behind it, or you don't take anything I would say with out the bias popping in your mind because we are here in Kansas City. But if I was trying to be objective, Patrick Mahomes put up these numbers without Tyreek Hill. And I don't think there were many quarterbacks in the NFL that if you took away their number one weapon, they would win the MVP. Look at Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay. Aaron Rodgers has four MVPs. He won an MVP last year. They took away Devontae Adams. They didn't make the postseason. Like Things can change that quickly in the NFL for you. And I think some people thought that Patrick Mahomes would crumble without Tyreek Hill. He arguably got better. But some voters out there still didn't believe that he was the best quarterback in the NFL. I would love to hear the side as to why Josh Allen deserved it. I would love to hear the side as to why Jalen Hurts had it. I can understand a little bit of Jalen Hurts because he was, a couple of times this year, the favorite to win the MVP. Then he had a down game or two, then busted up his shoulder, and he fell out of the running. It should have been unanimous last night, but it's still, when you win the MVP award, you can't really complain too much. Unanimous or not, Patrick Mahomes was the overwhelming favorite last night to win it, and he did get his second MVP in just six years in the NFL. Marco, takeaways on last night's NFL honors. 
I mean, were you as shocked as I was that there were two voters that didn't give Patrick Mahomes the MVP voter? Is it just, hey, those probably were voters in Buffalo and Philadelphia and they were not going to pick against their guy? Yeah, uh, no, not shocked because uh, – actually, I was a little bit – I was shocked that he was two votes away from being unanimous uh, MVP. Not because of personal opinion, but because I really thought that the public or – you know, people would or the voters would look at what Jalen Hurts did before the injury and in the course of it being a regular season, although we've gotten great, uh, great moments from Patrick Mahomes, MVP worthy moments out of him in the playoffs. Um, it sucks that none of that counts towards the uh, MVP award. But uh, it, it, it once again, I think, but it doesn't. It, it doesn't mean you can't look back into those games against Jacksonville and Cincinnati and show why he is the MVP. Those are certainly glimpses there as to why he is the best in all of football. Um, so yeah, I think I was, I was more shocked that it wasn't that it was um, that it wasn't as I guess spread out more in the, in the votes. But I see as I, I Josh Allen definitely was. I would have given one to Justin Jefferson. Uh, before Josh Allen as far as MVP. Um, I thought it was really cool that um, I'd seen somewhere that the Buffalo, the, the Buffalo medical staff, training staff, everybody who had hands-on involvement in the DeMar Hamlin situation, they got the recognition um, and I think an honorary MVP vote as well. So that was really cool, but it is what it is. There's haters out there. There's haters yeah. before the season with Mahomes. Um, one vote, two votes. At the end of the day, it's two votes. Patrick Mahomes doesn't care if it's unanimous or non-unanimous. Hell, I don't even know if he cares if he's the MVP or not. Um, but it's at the end of the day, you got to, as Mitch Holt has said in the final call in the AFC Championship game, you got to deal with it. What I think is so hilarious, too, in the aftermath of this vote, as I saw on Twitter, of, of Eagles fans saying, well, this is motivation now for Jalen Hurts not winning. And I'm yeah. going... Was there really an expectation that he would beat out Patrick Mahomes? Right. Like, I think if you're a Philly fan, you're glad that Patrick Mahomes won it because if Patrick Mahomes didn't win it, he would have a reason to kick your ass on Sunday. Not saying it would happen, but we know Patrick Mahomes and how he can take things so personally and have a little bit of cockiness to it. And if he was snubbed of an MVP award last night for Jalen Hurts, who missed two games at the tail end of the regular season, I don't know what type of attitude he would have had going into that game. But I was kind of baffled by it. I'm going, really? Like The, the ex- expectation in Philly was that Jalen Hurts was going to win it? I get sometimes you have the the biased lenses. In Kansas City, I, I have definitely been victim of it a couple of times. You don't think Patrick Mahomes does anything wrong. You don't think the Chiefs are a bad team at all. But at the same time, I mean, I could have gone to Vegas. I could have gone to Vegas, looked at the odds, and said, I probably should put some money down on Patrick Mahomes. If you were a Philly fan and you just never looked at the Vegas odds, that's your fault. That's your fault for not understanding that Jalen Hurts was not a favorite to win it last night. He had a chance five, six weeks ago, then he got hurt. And then when he came back, he didn't have the best of performances, or at least one performance in the regular season against a Giants team that was resting all their starters. Over the course of the year, there was nobody more consistent than Patrick Mahomes. I mean, there's no debate there, which is why he won it last night. If you're really shocked by it, I, I guess I can't change your mind on it. If you were just hell-bent on Patrick Mahomes not winning it, I would love to hear the other side. I just can't think of a single argument for Josh Allen. I can maybe think of one or two for Jalen Hurts. I could think of more for Joe Burrow. But it was always Patrick Mahomes in a runaway. So he does get his second MVP in just five years as a starter in the NFL. He'll go for his second Super Bowl ring 
this Sunday at 5.30 against the Philadelphia Eagles. We'll take our first break of the show. When we come back, time to preview some college basketball games. Kansas will be on the road in Norman tomorrow afternoon against the 12-12 and Oklahoma Sooners. And Kansas State will be down in Lubbock later on in the afternoon against the Red Raiders, who have just one win in conference play. But that one win was a 23-point comeback against the Iowa State Cyclones a couple of weeks back. That's next on ESPN Kansas City. Big slate of games in college basketball this by this time tomorrow, really. 30 minutes before the 11 a.m. tips. So we have a full slate of Big 12 games. That is, West Virginia will be on the road in Austin against the Texas Longhorns. That'll tip off at 11 a.m. on ESPN2. At noon on CBS, it'll be the ninth-ranked Kansas Jayhawks against the Oklahoma Sooners, who are 12-12 on the year. Two top 25 teams square off in Fort Worth at 3 p.m. on ESPN2. That'll be the 14th-ranked Baylor Bears against the 17th-ranked TCU Horn Frogs. The red-hot Oklahoma State Cowboys at 15-9 will be in Ames looking to snap the winning streak at Hilton Coliseum against the 11th-ranked Iowa State Cyclones, who are coming off a loss to West Virginia in Morgantown. That'll tip off at 5 p.m. on ESPN2. And the nightcap on ESPN Plus will be the 12th-ranked Kansas State Wildcats against the one-win-in-conference play Texas Tech Red Raiders, who are coming off a soul-crushing defeat to those red-hot Oklahoma State Cowboys. Let's start it off with our preview of Kansas and Oklahoma on CBS at noon. These two teams met about a month ago in Allen Fieldhouse, and let's not sugarcoat it, that was a game Oklahoma absolutely should have had to win or should have won. Uh, that was back on January 10th, so basically one month ago today. Uh, they led by 10 late in the second half at Allen Fieldhouse, and you could say, well, they're going to get the Allen Fieldhouse whistle. Kansas will crawl back into it. But the Sooners just collapsed. I mean, they completely crumbled and allowed Kansas to hang around hit a couple of big shots, and we're taking very poor selected type of shots uh, every time down in the final five minutes. Deep three-pointers, no fadeaway jumpers, dribbling into the corner. I mean, that was Oklahoma's fault, at least 90% of it, and the other 10% was Kansas just hitting some open shots. But Oklahoma crumbled. And I think that we've seen that time and time and again with lesser teams at Allen Fieldhouse. They can have big leads in the first half, early on in the second half, hell, even late in the second half. But the hardest time to play at Allen Fieldhouse is always in those final five minutes, regardless of the score. Because you know any sort of run Kansas goes on, crowd gets back crowd gets back into it, and then you start to tense up. It's easy when you're red hot and it's the first half and there's ten minutes to go and there's no pressure. You turn it over, okay. You miss a shot, okay. You miss a shot or turn it over in the final five minutes and Kansas is on a run, that's when you're in a danger zone. Now flip the script. This is going to be the Lloyd Noble Center. It's going to be an early tip-off. Last time Kansas had an early tip-off on the road, they were smoked by Iowa State. And I would be concerned a little bit that Kansas has another slow start. These next two games for Kansas 
are vitally important. Now, we want to say that every conference game is vitally important, but we've said it on the show and we'll say it again. The Big 12 champion's not going to be decided by head-to-head matchups against the top teams in the conference. It's going to be how you handle the 7th, 8th, ninth, and 10th place teams in the conference. You have Oklahoma State and Oklahoma, both on the road and both in the span of a couple of days. You absolutely have to go 2-0 and if you have any expectation of clinching at least a share of this conference. Now, Oklahoma has shown at times that they can pop off against really good teams. The second-ranked Alabama Crimson Tide, who are 11-0 in the SEC and are coming off just massacres of a couple of opponents. They beat Vanderbilt 101-44, and they beat Florida 97-69 on Wednesday. So Alabama responded well after losing to Oklahoma by 24 on January 28th. But Oklahoma followed up that big win against the Crimson Tide with three straight losses. 10-point loss to Oklahoma State, 32-point loss to West Virginia, and a 10-point loss to Baylor. I can't put my finger on Oklahoma. I really can't. I don't think they're a very good team. They've shown they can upset somebody, but it's also just the Big 12. Teams can be surprising at any point in the year. There's no real awful, awful team in this conference. Hell, even Texas Tech, that has one win in conference play, They beat Iowa State. They overcame a 23-point deficit. That can happen. But Oklahoma has shown no signs of consistency this year. And I think if you're Kansas, the message in this game should be to slow down just Grant Sherfield. You slow down Grant Sherfield, and you're going to be able to win this game by double digits. They could not do that in the first go-around at Allen Fieldhouse, and you're always concerned about the Groves brothers, Tanner and Jacob Groves, who go all the way back to their Eastern Washington days as a 14 seed, combining for 50-plus points against Kansas. So Jayhawk fans have always been concerned about the Groves brothers. Tall white guys, big beards, or at least one of them has a big beard, headbands. They're just so fitting that those guys would drop 20, 25 points on you. They haven't been that good. They have not been that good this season. But Grant Sherfield has been very effective for the Oklahoma Sooners. I also like Jalen Hill. Uh, who should be a tough matchup for anybody taking on him. I'd expect maybe, uh, I would probably go with Jalen Wilson on a Jalen Hill. I think with Sherfield, you have to put Kevin McCuller on him. Maybe if you want to put Dewan Harris on him for a couple possessions, both being around the same size. But maybe Kansas has a different game plan in this go-around. Because whatever he did in the first go-around, you couldn't couldn't slow down Grant Sherfield. It's a large reason as to why. Oklahoma had a big lead late in the game. If Oklahoma has a big lead late in the game on Saturday, I don't see Oklahoma falling. I don't see Oklahoma slipping up. And as we just mentioned, the Jayhawks can't afford to slip up against an Oklahoma, against an Oklahoma State, if they expect to clinch at least a share of the conference. But again, there's no reason to overlook a lot of things or underestimate Oklahoma. You know they've beaten a team like Alabama. You know they're capable of of doing that, but they just aren't a well-put-together team. They're not a very scary enforcer. They don't score a lot of points. They don't shoot it at a very high percentage. They're not great at the free-throw line. They're not great from beyond the arc. They're not good at rebounding. They're not good in assists. They're bad in turnovers. They're bad in assist-to-turnover ratio. They're not exceptional in blocking shots. And that should be the case when you're 12-12. and They have two guys 
that can really score the basketball, and that's Hill, as we mentioned, and that's Grant Sherfield. The Groves brothers have not been very good this year. Tanner Groves averaging less than 10 and less than 7 boards per game. The other Groves brother, Jacob, is averaging less than 8 points per game and is averaging less than 3 boards per game. They don't rebound the ball that well. Groves is their best rebounder, Tanner that is, and like we just said, less than 7. They don't have a rim protector. They're not exceptionally fast. They're not an explosive team. But we saw against Alabama, they made a very good team uncomfortable. And it's going to be a good crowd, as much as there can be a good crowd in Norman, Oklahoma, for a 12 o'clock tip-off for a 12-12 and team. But Kansas is in town, and we've seen Kansas before struggle in Norman, Oklahoma. Really good Kansas teams, average Kansas teams. Oklahoma's had their number a couple of times. But I think Bill Self and this squad, this coaching staff, understand the importance of this game. This isn't on the road against Texas. It's not on the road against Baylor or Kansas State. You're not going to have that type of environment, but it's an early tip-off. It's against one of the bottom teams in the conference, and it's a must-win game. These are all must-win games now if you want to win the conference. And no, it's not detrimental if Kansas doesn't win the Big 12. But I think you want to go on a little bit of a roll after beating Texas on Monday because you want to have a chance to at least go into the final three games of the season when you take on Texas Tech at home and West Virginia at home and then go into Austin on March 4th and compete for a Big 12 title on that game. That is a massive step in the right direction and heading into the Big 12 tournament and the NCAA tournament. You want to hit your stride now, and this is usually when Bill Self teams hit their stride. You know, mid to f- end of February, you know, February 10th, February 20th, you start to see a Kansas team take off. You see guys start to really get comfortable in their roles. If Joseph Yesfu plays as confident as he did against Texas, Kansas is going to win this game. If you can get good minutes from Ernest Uday, you can get really strong minutes from Dewan Harris, from Kevin McCuller, they're going to win this basketball game. We saw on Monday night, you don't need Jalen Wilson to win you a basketball game. You need the balanced approach. And I'm not sure that Oklahoma is going to try to take away Grady Dick in the way that they did. And Allen Fieldhouse, remember, it was face guarding Grady Dick. And he couldn't get open. He couldn't get any clean looks. Maybe they take that as we're going to go with that exact same game plan. But Big 12 coaches are smart. Anytime you do something really well the first time around, that team prepares for it the second go around. So maybe they try to do that with Jalen Wilson. Or maybe they do that with Kevin McCuller. I don't know. I try a different double-teaming Jalen Wilson, double-teaming Grady Dick. And I think Bill Self will have his team prepared to try to get guys like Grady Dick open. Hopefully, K.J. Adams can have one of those bounce-back games. And he's been fine, but we saw the way K.J. Adams was playing in the non-conference. I mean, getting 16, 18 points, having incredible bounce, being active on the glass, great on the defensive end. This Kansas team has a good chance to hit its stride. And now you have two games against lesser teams in the conference. Now, Oklahoma State, I still believe, is a conference or a NCAA tournament type of team. But Oklahoma's not. And you got to take care of them first, then worry about the Cowboys in Stillwater a couple of days later. So Kansas and Oklahoma tomorrow afternoon at 12 at the Lloyd Noble Center. Kansas will be favored in this game, of course, and look to build off their top five win against the Texas Longhorns that happened at Allen Fieldhouse 
back on Monday. As for the Kansas State Wildcats, they will be on the road in Lubbock against the Red Raiders, who have just had a dismal, dismal season. You go back to December 27th. They beat South Carolina State 110-71. to They have won twice since that date. It is February 10th. They have beaten LSU and Baton Rouge, and they've beaten Iowa State. And they followed up that win against Iowa State with a 27-point loss to Baylor and a three-point loss to Oklahoma State and Stillwater. They, like Oklahoma, are just not a good basketball team. They're more banged up than Oklahoma. They're a younger team than Oklahoma. But I have seen good signs that Texas Tech is still a team to be taken seriously when playing at home. So you go back to conference play, the start of conference play. They played Kansas in their home opener for Big 12 play. They lost to Kansas by three. They hosted Oklahoma four days later, lost by five. Against Baylor on January 17th, they lost by seven. West Virginia, surprisingly, was the only team in that stretch to blow them out. They won by 15 on January 25th. Then they beat Iowa State 80-77 to and haven't been back home since. They now are going to be welcoming the 12th-ranked Kansas State Wildcats. And I'm going to go on record of saying that this would be one of the more impressive wins for Kansas State in Big 12 play. Call me crazy. It's a one-win team. But like we just mentioned with Kansas, beating the teams at the bottom of the conference is very important. You have to take care of business because those should be the ones you're favored in. Those should be the easier road wins. And Kansas State has struggled a little bit on the road in conference play and playing at Texas Tech, whether they're 11-1 in Big 12 play or 1-11, it's tough to do. That's a hostile, rabid crowd, and they understand they can play home wrecker. Wreckham Tech, as they're saying, they can only be a home wrecker now. They're not making the NCAA tournament unless they win the Big 12 tournament in Kansas City. And now they get to have the, the pleasure or the fun, when you are out of it, of just trying to knock off as many ranked teams as you can. They have Kansas State and Texas back-to-back at home. They want to hand those teams an L back-to-back times. Even though it doesn't really help them in the long run, maybe you could say it gives them more juice going into the tournament, but when you have 12 losses, it's really, really hard. They can maybe have one more loss before not even having any chance of being on the bubble. And they're going to lose more games down the stretch. They still have to go to Allen Fieldhouse. They still have to go to Morgantown. They have to play Oklahoma State again. They have to play TCU again. But they have the no-pressure environment now of hosting a Kansas State team that has everything to lose, which is a unique spot for Kansas State, who's been the home-wrecking team for the last couple of years. They've been the bottom feeders in the conference. Now Kansas State, who's dealt with it perfectly this year, of being a team that people are gunning for, you got to make sure you don't slip up. And Kansas State does have a little bit of a softer schedule to close it out, but soft isn't really a term you use at the Big 12. You play Oklahoma State in Stillwater. You play Oklahoma in Norman. You play TCU in Fort Worth. You host a team like West Virginia. You host a team like Tech. They're not easy. None of those games are going to be easy. There's going to be very few times this year where a Big 12 team just humiliates somebody on their own floor. Winning in the Big 12 is incredibly hard. You've heard all the coaches say that. We've heard Bill Self say that. Jerome Tang say that. Scott Drew say that. Mike Boynton say that. Mark Adams say that. Jamie Dixon. 
So you go to all those coaches, and they're saying, they're preaching to the choir of, hey, it's hard to win in the Big 12. They're exactly right. You should celebrate every single win you have. It's not like the Big 12 of 10, 15, 20 years ago, where the bottom teams truly sucked. They were not good. Those were gimme games. The bottom teams in the conference have all had great wins this year. And if you don't believe me, I'm going to go off the top of my head right here with the standings. Texas Tech is the worst team in the conference at 1-10 in conference play. They've beaten Iowa State, who is ranked 11th right now in the country, 7-4 and four in conference play. You don't think Oklahoma's very good? They beat the second-ranked Alabama Crimson Tide at the time by 24. You don't think West Virginia's very good? They've beaten Iowa State this year. And I think you could already chalk that up as being one of their more impressive wins. They've also beaten Auburn this year at home. They've beaten Texas Tech on the road by 15. They've beaten TCU at home. Those are the three bottom teams in the conference. You know, Oklahoma State, I don't even consider to be a bottom team in the conference anymore. They've beaten Iowa State. They've beaten TCU. They nearly knocked off Kansas at Allen Fieldhouse. So, yeah, the Big 12 has a lot of scrappy teams, but scrappy teams that could dominate top teams in other conferences. I would have full, full confidence in a team like West Virginia going and beating the tar out of somebody in the ACC. I really would. I think the bottom teams in the conference would be top five in a lot of other conferences out there. That's how damn good this conference is, and that's why this game is so, so intriguing to me on Saturday night between Kansas State and Texas Tech. Do not take this as a game where Kansas State is just an overwhelming favorite. They should easily handle Tech. If they win this game, that is a wildly impressive win by Jerome Tang and his squad. It would be their 20th of the year, which, based off their preseason predictions, would already be an unbelievable achievement. But even if they were to lose, I don't take that as a bad loss. It's a bad loss for trying to win the Big 12 turn or the Big 12 regular season title and setting yourself up nicely for the Big 12 tournament. But losing in Lubbock is not bad. It is not a bad loss on the resume. And you can miss me with them being 12 and 12. They are a very tough bunch. They're a young bunch. They're a banged up bunch. But it's a hostile environment you're going to be walking into. Kansas State and Texas Tech, Saturday night at 6 p.m. on ESPN+. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we will wrap it up with our three heroes to the game. Which three guys will have the biggest impact in the Chiefs beating the Eagles? And we'll wrap it up with some fact or fiction. That's next on 94.5 FM and 1510 AM ESPN, Kansas City. We are wrapping up our final show of the shift this week on 94.5 FM and 1510 AM ESPN, Kansas City. I'm your host, Jack Johnson, alongside Marco Marquez. Before fact or fiction, let's give you for the last time this year our three heroes to the game. Which three guys we think are going to have the biggest impact in the Super Bowl against the Philadelphia Eagles and lead the Chiefs to their second Super Bowl win in five years. I'm starting it up up top with the offensive line play. I'm going to go with number 57, Orlando Brown Jr. If you don't think this is the biggest game of his life, of course, with it being the Super Bowl, but the weight of expectation. You are going up against one of the best pass rushers in the NFL and one of the best pass rushing teams we've seen in the last decade. Four guys on that Philly defensive front have double-digit sacks. Hassan Reddick is a guy he's going to have to worry about. You have a guy like Josh Sweat he's going to have to worry about. Javon Hargrave, I know he's on the interior, but just having to worry about guys like that up front. Even guys that are 
role players now. Ndamukong Sue, Robert Quinn. It's a lethal, lethal pass rush. And Orlando Brown Jr. is going to be picked on a lot. He wants big money in the offseason. He wants to be the highest paid left tackle. This is the game you have to prove that you are a top five tackle in the league. You keep Patrick Mahomes clean, it's going to do wonders for this offense. So hero number one, I think it's going to be Orlando Brown Jr. Number two, I'm going to jump over to the defense now. It's not Snead, who did pop up on the injury report yesterday with a knee problem. That is not what he originally popped up on it for with the concussion, so that should concern you. He was limited yesterday, the only player to be limited in practice yesterday. That was Legereus Snead, but I'm not going to pick him. We talked about in our three keys of the game that slowing down the run is going to be very important. And one of the guys tasked with that should be one of the best run stuffers on this team, and that's Nick Bolton. You need Nick Bolton to have not only the best game of the season, the best game of his life. You have a trio of running backs you need to limit in this game, that being Miles Sanders, that being Kenneth Gainwell, that being Boston Scott. Willie Gay is the guy they always pin in coverage. He'll be on Dallas Goddard from time to time. He'll be hanging with some of the guys in the slot. Nick Bolden will have to be the guy that slows down this rushing attack, at least at the second level. Worry about Chris Jones and Derek Naughty and Colin Saunders plugging the middle, but if they get to the next level, Nick Bolden has to be the guy to slow him down. And number three, I would usually pick Juju because we did talk about him in our three keys to the game. Want to get him active. I think it's going to be Kadarius Toney. It seems like he's a lot healthier. He is the secret weapon in this game. He is the X factor, both in special teams and in the gadget style of offense. I like Kadarius Tony to get a couple touches in this game, and I do like Kadarius Tony to score in this game. Not sure at what point in the game, but we know the Chiefs love Tony, and when he's on the field and when he's healthy, he really can be a true difference maker. For the last time, those are our three heroes for the game. We'll go with Orlando Brown Jr., we'll go with Nick Bolden, and we'll go with Kadarius Tony. And without further ado, Let's wrap up the show with some fact or fiction. Marco? Fact or fiction, Mahomes will finish as the all-time leader in MVP awards. So he is chasing Peyton Manning, who has five. Aaron Rodgers has four. I think easily he gets four. Six is a lot. Uh, But also, I think we should never underestimate what Patrick Mahomes is capable of. He is playing in a much tougher league, I think, than those two guys were. No Going up through the Peyton Manning years and the Brady years and the Rodgers years, there weren't as many great quarterbacks as there are now. I'm going to go fiction on that. I think that might be overshooting it, but I do think Patrick Mahomes gets about two or three at least more Super Bowl, uh, or not, excuse me, stop, MVP awards, not Super Bowl awards. Factor fiction, Jalen Hurts wins the MVP award in 2024. Uh, too early to tell. I think the favorite would still be Patrick Mahomes again. I think the second best odds would be a Joe Burrow or a Josh Allen. But Jalen Hurts will be in the running, that's for sure. As long as he stays healthy, I think he'll have another good uh, junior season as a starter in the NFL. Factor fiction, Joseph Yesifu scores in double figures against Oklahoma. Uh, fiction. I don't think he's going to score in double figures that many times. All you ask for Joseph Yesifu is about six points. I think six points off the bench, giving you good defense, being active in the passing lanes. That's all you should have to ask for with Joseph Yesifu tomorrow. Factor fiction, K-State and Texas Tech will be decided in the final two minutes. Uh, fiction. I think... Either K-State pulls away with about six, seven minutes to go, or if Texas Tech pulls off the upset, I think they win by about six or seven. And lastly, Orlando Brown doesn't allow a sack on Sunday. <sighs> Probably fiction. I really do have faith in Orlando Brown Jr. He's played much better, but this is just such a dangerous pass rush, and I think they're going to get to Patrick Mahomes a couple of times. You're just hoping it doesn't result in a turnover or at a very bad point in the game. But I do think Orlando Brown Jr. gives up at least one sack on Sunday night. 
There is Ray Charles, so it's time to go. That wraps up another edition of The Shift on 94.5 FM and 1510 AM ESPN Kansas City. I've been your host, Jack Johnson, alongside Marco Marquez. You enjoy the weekend and enjoy the game. Kansas City, we'll talk to you on Monday at 10 a.m.